Let's continue our study in 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to finish this rather lengthy sentence that Peter has written here. Typically, he doesn't do that. Paul's the one that writes the sentences that go four or five verses usually. But here we have one of Peter's. He did that. It started back in verse 17, in which we examined we are to live as strangers. Then last week in verses 18 and 19, we saw our redemption in the precious blood of the Lamb. And this morning, as we finish the sentence, we're going to study the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's start back at verse 17, and we'll read all the way down through verse 21 to get the full context, and then we're just going to examine verses 20 and 21 this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect to persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So as we study the revelation of Jesus Christ, three points I want us to glean this morning. First, we'll notice the eternality of Jesus. The eternality of Jesus Christ. We'll see that in verse 20. Secondly, we'll observe the evidence that Jesus is the Christ. The evidence that Jesus is the Christ. So first, the eternality of Jesus in verse 20. Secondly, the evidence that he is Christ in verse 21. And then lastly, also in verse 21, we'll observe the expected results. The expected results. You and I need to understand why Jesus came to earth the first time. And he's coming back again, amen? So let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we ask for your wisdom and guidance. As we examine these verses this morning, we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Peter starts out, who verily, who truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So before the world was ever created, it was already predetermined that Christ would come to earth to pay for man's sin. You see, God in his foreknowledge, which means he knows beforehand, knew that this creation he was going to create, man, would choose to sin against him, and man would de need redeemed. So he foreordained, that is to determine ahead of time, that Jesus Christ would come into the world to save sinners. Now, understand the difference between foreknowledge and foreordination, because Calvinists get the two mixed up all the time, and there are times when it talks about the foreknowledge of God, but they, they interpret it to mean the foreordination of God. So again, the difference, foreknowledge means he knows ahead of time. He can't help but do so because he is God. He knows all things. Foreordination means he caused it to happen beforehand. The only time foreordination is used in Scripture is here, if I recall correctly, in this passage referring to the foreordination of Jesus Christ becoming 
the sacrifice for you and I. That was predetermined before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Now that's an amazing thought, is it not? God already knew before he created man. You understand, Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden never took God by surprise. He already knew it was going to happen. He already knew there was going to have to be a lamb provided, his own son, to pay for the penalty of sin. He knew that that was going to happen, and he foreordained, he designed the plan of man's redemption before he started creating the world. Now that shows us several things. Number one, it shows us the eternality of Jesus Christ because before the world was, Jesus is. Yes, I said that correctly. Because he is yesterday, today, and forever the same Jesus. You see, he's not he was, he is. And no matter what time, and even outside of time, Jesus Christ still is. Now that's hard for us to comprehend because we are creatures bound in time, but God is not. Romans 3.25, whom God has sent to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Titus puts this where in the book of Titus, Paul puts it this way, Titus 1.2, he says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You see, so Jesus Christ has always existed. As John starts his gospel, he starts in a very unusual way, which has a lot of similarities, if you, I believe, to the beginning of the Bible and the book of Genesis. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and you see Word being capitalized, referring to Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ existed before the world. He existed before His birth. You and I started when we were conceived. Jesus Christ already is. He is God, and He eternally exists. But he came at the perfect appointed time. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of son. You understand from the time of creation, the time that Adam and Eve sinned, until the time Jesus Christ walked this earth, several thousand years had passed. Not millions, a few thousand years had passed. During that time, all the promises were not yet fulfilled. The Old Testament saints were looking for the fulfillment of that promise and trusting God would fulfill that promise. Now you and I have seen the promise fulfilled and Jesus Christ coming and put our faith in the one who came. But it had to be the right time. So Josh and Hannah are preparing for a wedding. And many of you have been either your own wedding or have had children or getting, having a wedding or whatever. And there's a lot of preparation that goes into a wedding. I don't think I've met a couple yet that as the wedding gets closer and closer, like, why didn't we just go to a justice of peace and make this simpler? But anyhow, there's a lot of preparation that goes into the wedding, right? But after everything is all set and everything is ready, then comes the bride, right? I mean... After everything's ready and, and 
Everybody else is in their places. Then the last one to walk in is the bride. So everything had to be set. God had a perfect time in history when Jesus Christ was to come. But why did he come? Well, let's go back to verses 18 and 19. He came to redeem us. For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He came to die for you and me. He's the Word of God coming to flesh. So the eternality of Christ given to us there in verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So he came at the appointed time. The eternality of Christ, then second, the evidence that he is Christ. Verse 21 who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead. How do we have evidence that he truly is who he claims to be? Well, we saw this just a few Sundays ago, and as I said, it should not be something we just preach on Resurrection Sunday, or some know it as Easter Sunday, but it should be something that's proclaimed all throughout the year. The truth that Jesus Christ is alive, and the fact that he is raised from the dead is proof that he is who he says he is. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ and we raised not. If so be that the dead rise not. Paul giving that argument saying if the dead are not risen, then we're just a bunch of liars saying Jesus Christ is risen. But the truth is we're not liars because he is risen and it was seen of over 500 as proof that he is alive. There's an empty tomb to prove Jesus Christ is truly who he claims to be. And of course, we've seen the power of the resurrection. The fact that we have power to live for God through the fact that Jesus Christ is ascended into heaven, has sent the Holy Spirit of God that empowers us to do the work of God. Christian, again, let's remember, you and I, apart from God, are powerless. But through the power of the Holy Ghost, we can serve him. Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You know, Christian, you and I do not need to fear death because Jesus Christ has victory over death and hell. And if you and I are born again, all's death will do is usher us in the presence of Jesus Christ. There's no need to fear death. We live in a world that fears everything. They fear getting old. They fear dying. They fear everything. But God has not given a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So Peter says, Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. And gave him glory. Glory has the idea of praise, honor, or distinction. Again, John says in John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you imagine what it was like for Peter, James, and John 
to be with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they got just a small glimpse of the Shekinah glory of God, can you imagine what that must have been like? I bet you that was an amazing night. But you know, folks, Jesus Christ is glorious. He's still glorious. He deserves all glory. Jesus right now, as I said, is ascended into heaven and sitting on the right hand of the Father. 1 Peter 3.22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. You know, the life of Christ has changed our world, has it not? It's amazing in modern times, now they come up with this, the BCE. First time I saw that, I'm like, what in the world is BCE? You know, we used to have BC, which was before Christ. AD, which stood for Anno Domini or after death, right? So basically the whole calendar that we have is changed by the life of Jesus Christ. Now, the modernists, in their attempt to try to remove God from everything, came up with this BCE, which means before the common era. But here's the problem. When did the common era start? With Christ. <laughs> so you could call it what you want. The thing is, what changed is Jesus Christ came to earth. Isn't it amazing how extreme the world will go to try to deny Jesus Christ and the fact that he is God. Folks, let me tell you, this world is becoming more and more averse to the gospel because man is being taught that he is God. Man is being taught that he is everything. And man wants the glory for himself, does he not? But is that not our natural man? Because if we're not careful... Do, can we end up taking, trying to take glory for things God has done in our lives? Absolutely. And so we need to be careful and re realize all praise and honor belong to God Almighty. So Peter's saying, Jesus Christ is eternal. It was predetermined that he would come to earth, and there is evidence that he is the Christ, because he is raised from the dead, and God gave him glory. You see, despite what the world believes or tries to deny, the words of Philippians chapter 2 are still in the Scripture when it talks about having the mind of Christ. And we get down to verse 9. Paul writes these words. He says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. You see, Jesus Christ is highly exalted, magnified above all, and given him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to think about that. The world may mock you, Christian. The world may make fun of you. The world may say there is no God. The world may try to deny Jesus Christ. But God has said 
every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Of things in heaven, of things on earth, and things under the earth. Now, today, the angels in heaven are declaring the glory of God, are they not? Isaiah gives us a glimpse of that, does he not? Of things in earth. So every man, woman, boy, and girl who's ever lived on planet earth will bow before Jesus Christ and proclaim him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, while we're alive, we have the option or the choice, I'll say, to claim him as Lord now. But let me tell you, those who deny will be claiming him as Lord, but it'll be too late for their eternal soul. Because those standing before the great white throne judgment will declare him to be king of kings, lord of lords. They will declare him to be who he said he is. Only to hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you, and cast him in the lake of fire for all eternity. Things under the earth. Satan and his whole host of demons already know Jesus Christ is who he says he is. They will declare him before being cast again into the lake of fire for all eternity. You understand every living creature will declare Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. He is king. He is Lord. They will declare him as their Lord because he is. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Now I want you to think what will it be like if we're allowed to see the great white throne judgment, those who denied Christ finally realizing he is Christ. But let me tell you what would be worse is somebody standing there who you had opportunity to share the gospel with and you never took the opportunity. But while we're talking still about the great glory of Christ, he's going to return with great glory. I'm glad there's going to be a time, first of all, for us at the rapture will be a glorious time when he comes to call us out of this world, won't it? When we put off this corruption and put on incorruption, when we put off this mortal and put on immortality, that's going to be a great time. But then after um, the tribulation will be on earth, Christ is going to come and set up his kingdom. Mark 13, 26. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. When he comes and puts down the kingdoms of the world and sets up his kingdom, that's going to be a glorious time, is it not? But I love the way Peter ends this. So we've examined the eternality of Jesus Christ, the evidence that he is Christ. But now let's focus on verse 21 and look at the expected results. Who by him do believe in God. And we already talked about the phrase that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Who by him do believe in God. We are to believe in God, but to believe is to be persuaded that it is true. You see, Jesus Christ came to reveal the Father to us, did he not? He told us that in John 14, 8 and 9. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou, show us the Father? You see, God has given man the general revelation. The creation itself proclaims there is a creator. 
There is no way a thinking person can look at this world and say this just happened by random chance. It is too designed. It is too organized. It works the way God designed it. Now, the problem is, is we live on a sin-cursed earth, and so people see bad things happen and say, well, then how can this be a creation of God? Well, you got to understand the earth that you and I live upon is not the way he created it. This is a result of man's sin, and also there was this great event during Noah's day called the flood that changed a lot of what we see here on the earth. You don't believe that? Go out to where Ed used to live in South Dakota. Go through the Badlands and whatnot. You can see there was a lot of water on this continent at one time. And you can see how it flowed off and cut some pretty beautiful formations, did it not? But Jesus Christ came to reveal the Father. You see, so why we have the general revelation of creation and conscience... As I've said before, everybody who ever walked planet Earth has some idea of things that must be right and things that must be wrong. Now, because of sin, sometimes the conscience can be skewed or very um, perverted in the way it thinks. But, okay, and I've used this example many times, even cannibals have some kind of conscience that says, it's okay to eat the neighbor's tribe, just not from my own tribe. Now, what tells them that it's not okay to eat from my own tribe? Well, there's some kind of conscience still there, even though it's warped, even though it's perverted in his thinking, there's still a conscience saying, this is wrong to do. Does that make sense? Where did that come from? Because if we are just creatures of random chance, it really doesn't matter at all if I eat the neighbor's tribe or if I eat from my own tribe. You say, that's pretty grotesque, preacher. I'm just giving you, if we truly are just here by random chance, what does it really matter? Right? Yet even the whole concept of cannibalism is grotesque to us. Why? Because there's a conscience that says that's not right. Right? Where did it come from? It came from God. Now, while we understand God gave general revelation that points to him, general revelation is not enough to bring a man to salvation. That's why God gave us this special revelation. And part of his special revelation was sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to reveal the Father to us. Because what would we know of God if he had not revealed himself to us? We would have a very skewed sense of God, would we not? But see, as Christ walked this earth doing good and preaching the gospel, preaching the need for repentance, preaching that God's standard is perfection, and none of us have reached that standard, but he came to die in our place so that we could have his righteousness imputed to us. You see, he was revealing God's plan to us. I love reading the gospels because you learn more about God through Christ. You learn more about the Father through Christ. You learn more about Christ himself, which is amazing, but then you learn more about the Father through the life of Christ, do we not? Because he came to reveal the Father to us. So we believe in God, and then let's go to the end of verse 21, that your faith and hope might be in God. Faith. That's a trust or assurance. You know, when you came in this morning... I didn't see any of you examining the pew you're sitting on and checking out the legs and 
looking at the structure of it and everything else and making sure that that thing's going to hold you up. You came in and just plopped down on it and expected it to hold you. That shows, if you will, a faith that that pew is going to hold you. Now, how do you know it's still going to hold you this week? You just have faith it does, right? You see, when we come to God, we need to come with a childlike faith. Years ago, most of you were here when Anthony and Libby Avery were here, and their little boy, Harrison, thank you. I had him come up to the platform one time and stand up here, and I said, Harrison, jump, and I'll catch you. He just jumped, and I caught him. And then I put, I don't remember whether it was his dad or somebody bigger, I forget who I put up here. I said, jump, and they looked at me like you're crazy, and I'm glad they did. I'm glad they didn't actually jump because both of us would have been hurt. <laughs> but the point being this, are we not to have that childlike faith that simply just believes, that doesn't sit there and analyze and everything else? You know, I find it amazing sharing the gospel with children versus sharing the gospel with adults. Because you share the gospel with children, and they tend to just believe. You share the gospel with adults, and they got all kinds of reasons and excuses and, and questions and, and analy analyzing every last detail about it. And sometimes it's hard to get people to understand. We receive Christ with a childlike faith. Just believe. Now, when we think of who our God is, should it not become easier for us just to believe, just to trust, just to rely on him? Our faith can rest assured when we realize God that cannot lie is the object of our faith. You see, what matters is the object of your faith. Because if the object of my faith is man, I'm going to be let down. I'm going to be disappointed. But if the object of my faith is Jesus Christ, then I can rest assured because he is God. He's unchanging and my faith is secured because my faith is in Christ. Which then brings us to the end, as Peter writes, and hope, your faith and hope might be in God. And again, this hope is not the world's hope of, well, I hope so, which typically means I wish, I think. You know, you ask people, are you going to heaven? I hope so. Well, Christian, I can say I hope so. But my definition of hope would mean something different than their definition of hope. Say, what do you mean? So the typical definition of hope means a wishful thinking. So when you ask somebody, are you going to heaven? I hope so. Means I, maybe? I don't know. But see, the hope of the Bible is something different. It's a calm assurance based on the promises of God. So if you say, I hope I'm going to heaven, you could mean... I have a calm assurance knowing based on the promises of God, I will be in heaven. That would be a proper use of the term. And that's the biblical use of the term. Now, I don't recommend saying that to people because they're not going to understand, okay? They're going to think the wishful thinking that the hope thinks today, or the world thinks today. But you and I have a hope that is sure. I have an expectation that I will spend eternity with Christ. And I have a calm assurance of that because of the promises of God. That is my hope. Does that make sense? 
So now look at this, verse 21 again, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith, what you're placing your trust in, and your hope, your assurance, might be in God. You see, God sent Jesus that we might believe in him. Now that's a reasonable expectation, is it not? So do we? Now, I believe, to the best of my knowledge, everyone here has received Christ as Savior, so you believed in him for salvation. But do you believe in him for living? Do you trust him for living? It's amazing how we can trust God for our eternity, but we have a hard time trusting God for our temporal. You understand God wants you to trust him now, today, tomorrow, and everything in life. You can rest assured God still is in control and God wants to and will direct you. The other day I went out to start the car and I pushed a button and nothing happens. And the screen starts telling me, well, it's been telling me for the last several days, your window washer fluid is low. Isn't it amazing? they got sensors for everything on these ridiculous. But anyhow. And so it says, low battery. I'm like, well, it's a 2018. And if it's the original battery, that would make it five years old. That sounds about right. So I tried jumping. It couldn't get it to jump because the battery's dead. So I pulled the battery off, which, by the way, used to be just simply two bolts and pull the battery and you off you go. Now you need to get a YouTube video to follow so you can figure out where the battery even is on the car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Took the battery over to AutoZone, bought a new battery, came home, put it back on. How many of you, when those situations happen, and now your whole day has changed, tend to get frustrated? Okay. Many of us do, don't we? Now, Initially, I was a little frustrated, but I quickly realized, you know what? I keep preaching, because it is true that God is in control of all things. None of this took God by surprise. There's a reason this is happening today. So let's just get this done, get the new battery on, and then we'll try to get back on schedule of everything else to do today and move on. Because I don't know why that was the day it had to happen, but kind of thinking back to a recent trip we took to Pennsylvania where my son's car broke down twice on the way up there, I was, you know, Susan and I were changing the battery. She goes, well, at least it's here in our driveway. <laughs> it's like, there you go. As she's holding the phone with the YouTube video while I'm trying to figure out where the battery is. But in these situations, we have opportunity still to show the world our faith and trust in God. Because if we get mad and frustrated, how is that any different than the world's response? But if we simply just say, okay, Lord, you have a reason, there's a plan for it, and just simply trust him and don't waver because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus Christ God, coming to flesh, was revealed to save us from our sin. God raised him from the dead and gave him glory, and we are to believe in him and have faith in him and to hope in him. Let us bow forward to prayer.